Yeah, 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 we know medical care requires informed consent, but laws require informed consent, politics, entrepreneurship, how you engage in your diet, health, exercise, even relationships. These all require a place of being informed, and I am so sick of being called a conspiracy theorist for using my brain and being informed. So that's how this podcast came to life. This is Informed Consent. I'm your host, Brooke Bocci. Let's start talking. I apologize if you guys are sick of me talking about infertility and talking about our journey and talking about the things that we're learning. But in today's and next week's episode, I want to take some time and dive into a little bit more of the immune system and the immunity of fertility and specifically the male and female genital tract. And I kind of alluded last week that I wanted to have a specific episode all on ureoplasma and myoplasma because this is something that is very, very treatable, but very, very common. And it is heavily linked to infertility in men and reoccurrent loss in women. And it's something that my husband and I did find out we had. And it truly could be our missing link. And I sit there and think if so many men and women have ureoplasma or myoplasma, get treated from it, and then no soon after that get pregnant, why are we not screaming this to the rooftop? Why is every single doctor not testing for this as soon as a patient comes into the clinic asking about infertility? It's mind-blowing to me. If you do a simple TikTok search, for example, and search ureoplasma infertility, I I challenge you to do that if you are listening to this and you are someone especially who's struggling, or if you're listening to this and you know of someone who's struggling, go to TikTok and search that and prepare for your mind to be blown. Click on a couple of videos of people who talk about it and then read the comments of success story after success story, after success story of women who have had, actually, you know what? I I want to read some of these success stories because it's truly eye-opening. And also, again, why are people not talking about this? So here are some responses on a post that someone did on Basically finding out she had ureoplasma after struggling with three years of infertility, got tested for it, treated for it. Two months later, found out she was pregnant. Here is just some of the comments. I had the exact same thing happen. I had unexplained infertility for six years. My first fertility doctor did not test for it, but the second one did. When we treated for ureoplasma, we were pregnant the next cycle. I now have a beautiful seven-year-old daughter. Another one. Thank you so much for sharing this. I've done IVF twice, both both successful, thankfully, but unexplained infertility. Never once was told about this. I had my annual this week, no symptoms, had them test. Guess what? I'm positive. Shortly after, became pregnant naturally. OMG, same. The month after I took antibiotics, I got pregnant with our daughter. We had unexplained infertility for three years before her. 
I had three losses from the same thing. I am so glad I went with my gut that something was in fact wrong. My rainbow baby is in my arms as I type this. Another one. I'm from Croatia, and here it's usual to test for urea plasma if after a few months you cannot get pregnant. This was my case, and when I got rid of my urea plasma, I immediately got pregnant in the first month. OMG. Lots of OMGs here. People are excited. (laughs) I am so happy for you guys that I was able to share with you our experience with that. I never would have thought that the issue that we were dealing with was unexplained infertility for for two years, then being diagnosed with urea plasma, being put on antibiotics, and getting pregnant three months later. I truly don't believe that's a coincidence. This happened to my husband and I. I got tested and treated for it in June. We had scheduled our first IUI for the week of September and got our positive pregnancy test August 30th. Last one I want to share. I had the same experience, secondary infertility with one year of failed IUIs. I was positive for chronic endometriosis, which is linked to urea plasma. I conceived naturally the cycle after this was treated with antibiotics. That's just five or six stories. And you think that this, again, would just be routine. In Croatia, like someone just shared, it's routine to test for it. But in the United States, it's not. I, if you listen to last week's episode, I was kind of given grief. I was kind of given pushback when I asked for it. I started doing research on this. I started learning about it and thinking, you know what? Maybe this is our issue. And we were kind of brushed off. My OB did give me the test and she did actually personally call me after and say, thank you for advocating for yourself. But our fertility doctor totally brushed it off, literally word for word, almost chuckling as he said, that is not your issue. And I'm not saying it is, but how could this, I mean, here is your case studies right here. Yes, some people say, oh, you can't go to TikTok. You can't go to social media to get your research. Okay, but that's case studies right there. That is true life stories. And so I want to use today's episode to just dive into urea plasma and myoplasma. They're very, very similar. And just talk about it, what, what it is, how you know you have it, how you know you don't have it some symptoms, what it can do, what it can cause, how to treat it, and just kind of give a little bit of backstory on that because this is something that is so prominent. And let me tell you, if I am ever so lucky to be able to share that I am pregnant here shortly, I will be screaming this to the rooftop because if I do get pregnant in the next few months, I truly, without doubt, will tell you this was our issue. And you bet your bottom dollar, I will be telling everybody because something as simple as this, and it truly is simple. It was so simple for us to treat it. As much as I don't love the treatment protocol, I also believe there is a time and a place for modern medicine, which I've always said. And we're done. We've cleared it. And now I hope that our bodies are healing and recovering to therefore become pregnant. 
So again, I want to talk all about urea plasma, but before we get into it, I want to talk about a new sponsor of the show that I am so excited about because I have not yet talked about cleaning products on this show. I get so many messages on social media asking me what I use to clean because yes, cleaning products, most cleaning products are toxic. And not only are most cleaning products toxic, they're harmful to our hormones. They are harmful to our gut health. They are harmful to so many parts of our body and our health. But then there's so many products out there that are greenwashed. What does that mean? That means that a company is promoting them as clean and as healthy for you and toxic free, but yet they're not. They just do a really good job of labeling because they can, because there's very little regulation. So for the normal consumer who doesn't know what to look for, ingredients that they just don't know what to stay away from, they think it's clean. A lot of companies on the market are now doing greenwashing products. A lot of really high-end, reputable companies that are claiming to be clean are not clean. And so I don't blame anybody for being so dang confused about what to use and what to buy. And I'm so beyond thrilled to be sharing about a company that I have been using and testing for the last year and I have truly fallen in love with. Truly. (laughs) That was so not intentional, but it's called Truly Free. The company is called Truly Free and they are very, very clean that actually work. Not only are they clean, not only does it actually work, but they are very, very reasonably priced. I will say a very big disclaimer, their website needs some work. It looks like it's a back in the 90s, pretty just not well done website, but hey, their money and their research is being put into clean products and I'm all about that. So what do they have? They have laundry detergent. They have Oxy Boost, which is basically like a white boost. And this was probably the one thing I always missed with clean cleaning products because bleach is toxic. But using this, I'm like, ooh, I can still have those sparkling white clothes that I feel like I never used to be able to have when I ditched bleach. I absolutely love their household cleaner, their glass cleaner. They even have like soaps and they just have so much wonderful stuff. And I trust every single one of their ingredients. They're plant-based. All of their products are eco-friendly, fragrance-free, non-toxic, plant-based, and again, clean, not greenwashed, actually truly clean. So the company gave me a discount code that I can share with you guys to save you 30% off your first order. And that is Brooke30. So if you go to trulyfreehome.com, that's T-R-U-L-Y-F-R-E-E, H-O-M-E dot com. Do all the shopping that your littlest heart desires, add everything to your cart, and then use code Brooke, that's B-R-O-O-K-E 3-3-0 to save you 30% off your first order. I'll link all of that in the show notes for you as well. If you just very simply want to be able to click and shop, that's definitely how I roll too. Okay. So let's talk all about urea plasma. Urea plasma, Urea plasma is very frequent and can actually be found in 40 to 80% of sexually active women. As a result, it can be found in the vagina, the cervix, the urethra, 
the endometrium, the seminal fluid attached to the surface of the spermatosa and also in the amniotic fluid and the placenta during pregnancy. Here's the issue with urea plasma. And I kind of talked about this last week, but I, I want to hit on it again today. And it's possibly the reason why people in the United States, doctors in the United States don't heavily focus on testing for this because it's believed that in a way urea plasma is part of the normal microflora. And in many ways that is true. From my research, and I am absolutely no doctor, I am no expert on this, but from my research, I, I found that about 80% of women do have urea plasma strains in their body. It's just a matter of if it's active enough to cause issues. So think of it as like you almost have this dormant bacteria that isn't causing any harm, isn't doing anything. It's literally part of your natural microflora of your body, and it's not doing anything. But in some, actually, again, around 40 to 80% of women, it can be turned on to where it is causing issues. And many people, many fertility specialists see urea plasma as negatively affecting pregnancies, leading to pregnancy complications, such as spontaneous abortion, aka miscarriage, premature rupture of membranes, preterm delivery neonatal infections, and postpartum infections. Genital tract infections in pregnancy account for 15% of first trimester miscarriages and 66% of late miscarriages. Additionally, urea plasma can have a huge impact on male fertility. And so I want to spend some time and, and, and just share some research that I have found through just as I'm learning myself about this, because it's really mind-blowing. And to put it in very simple terms, as I kind of was just reading there, from my understanding and from even what my OB explained to me, is urea plasma does not actually cause female infertility. There's very low studies about urea plasma and female infertility. It actually affects the pregnancy in itself. So AKA it can cause miscarriages. It can cause preterm delivery. It can cause a lot of issues with the baby. So it's more of a concern once you get pregnant, whereas it causes male infertility because it affects motility, morphology, all of the sperm parameters that are needed to fertilize an egg. And so this is very interesting. And why is this interesting? Because this is a infection in the urinary tract. It's in type of infection. It's not considered a sexually transmitted disease. Now, again, I said this last week, I'm over here basically telling everyone I have a STD. It's technically not an STD, but honestly, I call that total BS because it is a sexually transmitted disease. Why do I say that? Because urea plasma is typically transmitted through sexual contact. It's very, very, very common among sexually active adults. It can enter the body through the vagina or the urethra. Urea plasma can also be passed from mother to child. And because of that, and because of the fact that a lot of women have this that goes undiagnosed, that is how the child could have it. But it is extremely, extremely rare for someone to contract this. 
that are children or sexually inactive adults. So again, it's technically not categorized as an STD, but it basically is. And because of that, and because it's so contagious, it is very well known that if the female has it, the male has it and vice versa. So a couple that is trying to get pregnant, a couple that is maybe struggling with fertility, not only could be struggling this because the male has urea plasma, which is causing issues with sperm parameters, but it also could potentially be threatening the threatening the pregnancy and, and the growing baby inside of you and potentially could result in loss. So I think it's so important to just look at the whole picture of the male and the female versus just the female or just the male. So a little bit more into what exactly urea plasma is. Urea plasma and myoplasma, it's in the same exact family. So it's considered the same thing. And from my understanding is if you have urea plasma, you have myoplasma. Now, urea plasma is what's heavenly, heavily causing the infertility issues as well as loss, but it's also important to recognize both of them because they are so similar. So urea plasma is a group of tiny bacteria that inhabit the respiratory and urinary tract, and they may potentially overgrow and lead to infection. Urea plasma is some of the smallest free living organisms in the world, and they are so tiny that they can't be seen through a microscope. Ureoplasma species have been linked to a variety of medical problems, including bacterial vaginosis, pregnancy complications, and male factor infertility. What are symptoms of ureoplasma? This is the kicker. So most people with ureoplasma infection don't experience any symptoms at all. And let me tell you, I can vouch for that. The only symptom that we had was infertility but it is possible to show symptoms mainly in the female. It's a lot, lot more rare for actually men to show symptoms. So ureoplasma infection is possible to cause inflammation in the urethra. This is called urethritis. You can experience pain during urination, burning sensations, or discharge. This is in male and female. Ureoplasma is also a possible cause of bacterial vaginosis, and symptoms of that include watery vaginal discharge, a very unpleasant vaginal odor, and ureoplasma may also increase your risk for other conditions, including kidney stones, premature labor, respiratory diseases in newborns, and male factor infertility. How is this diagnosed? So again, I'm reading this from this article. Most doctors don't normally test for ureoplasma. Right there. But how they test is through either a cervical swab, a urine sample, an endometrial swab, or an endometrial biopsy. What are the treatment options? So typically... To treat this, you need a very, very hefty dose of antibiotics. Because these strains are so incredibly small, they're supposedly very resistant to certain types of antibiotics and also very, very hard to treat. So 
Preferred antibiotics are pretty hardcore antibiotics, such as doxycycline. I was recommended, as well as my husband, 10 days of doxycycline, retest, test again. Doxycycline is pretty intense and known as one of actually the most intense antibiotics that is on the market. But the treatment looks different for everybody and obviously consult with your doctor and your doctor will be that person who will be able to provide that treatment protocol for you. But from what my experience is, as well as just others that I have been chatting with and in learning about is doxycycline is the most common antibiotic that is prescribed for urea plasma. And again, in, in many cases, in most cases, obviously they do recommend a retest because it's not always treatable in the first round. So what they recommend actually is to do the treatment and to wait 30 days after the last day of treatment because what happens with the DNA apparently of the urea plasma or the myoplasma, it can stay in your body even if it's been like killed or or it's been cured or I guess whatever you want to word that. So if you go and retest right after you finish antibiotics, you could have a likelihood of false positives and then take antibiotics for no reason, especially an antibiotic that's that intense. You don't want to do that. So it's recommended to wait the 30 days and then get retested to get the to to prevent your odds of that false positive. And then if you do test positive again, then basically the same treatment protocol is usually recommended, possibly a different treatment protocol, maybe if it wasn't, if that potentially just wasn't working for you. So I want to read to you some of these studies that were done on the prevalence of myoplasma and urea plasma colonization in infertile women, as well as women struggling with infertility. So this study was done. This study is, and I'll link it in the show notes, from the National Library of Medicine. It was done by the JBRA-assisted reproduction by a large amount of doctors studying. So essentially, the, the point of this study was to investigate whether the presence of endocervical bacteria is associated with tubal factors in women screened for infertility. And the results showed that Bacterial colonization by chlamydia, urea plasma, and myoplasma was corresponded to the infertility diagnosis. When evaluating bacterial species individually, the women who were positive for endocervical myoplasma had significantly higher rates of tubal factor infertility. So you do find that a lot of doctors will talk about chlamydia. And I think most people understand that chlamydia is a factor of infertility. We, we, we know that, right? But this article and this study is basically showing that it's not just chlamydia. It literally even says it in the conclusion, not only chlamydia and gonorrhea, but also urea plasma and myoplasma species are connected with infertility. So here's just a study right there. I want to show one specifically on male factor infertility because I think this is super important. So this is from the Frontiers in Endocrinology. This is also in the National Library of Medicine. I'll link this in the show notes as well. But the, the point of this one was just to study the effects of urea plasma on semen quality and sperm morphology. And 
essentially the abstract of this and the, the summary of this was urea plasma infection is primarily associated with damage to male fertility through its effects on male sperm parameters. This was put into three different groups. This test basically took three different groups of males, one who had urea plasma, one who had infections that weren't urea plasma, and then one that had normal parameters with no infection detected. So this study basically concluded that urea plasma semen samples were observed to be associated with lower sperm concentrations, lower sperm motility, as well as lower sperm morphology, which essentially is three of the most important parameters of the sperm. Motility is how it moves. Morphology is how it's shaped and count is the count of how many sperm is in a given sample. Truly, the research is astonishing on urea plasma, and it's astonishing on the effects that it can have on motility. And again, I just want to share one more time, if you did not listen to last week's episode, where our, where our story comes into play. So if you didn't listen to last week's episode, our infertility is male factor infertility. We've pretty much checked all of the boxes on my end, my hormone levels. I've done an HSG where they checked out my cervix and my tubes to just see if I had any blockage or a misshaped uterus or anything like that. And everything looked good. Yes, I did have the urea plasma, but again, from the research and and from these findings, I probably wasn't going to have issues until potentially my pregnancy. And that's such a scary thought and also such a relief in knowing that I could have I could have protected myself from even more heartbreak of something like a miscarriage. And so with my husband, we have pretty much found from three months into our fertility journey that his motility, his morphology, his count, pretty much all the parameters, not only lower than the WHO's guidelines for sperm parameters, but like way lower. Um, I mean, the percentage of it was wild, but his biggest issue was motility. We had one semen analysis actually come back that he had zero motility, like none of his sperm was moving. And obviously the sperm needs to get to the egg somehow. So if they're not moving, like no wonder why we're not getting pregnant. And so again, how my mind works is, okay, how does that happen? How does a healthy man who was a professional football player, like a very, very healthy man, we eat clean, we eat good, we we, we do all the right things. How does he have 0% motility? Like that just doesn't make sense. So we got a very, very, very advanced semen analysis where we found that he has a very, very high presence of agglutination. What is agglutination? This essentially means that his sperm is stuck together. His specifically is tail to tail. So again, so like I said last week, think of the fact that like you're trying to run and your shoes are tied together. You're clearly not moving very far, if moving at all. And that can be fixed. Agglutination can be fixed. It's not a lifetime diagnosis. And the reason being is because 95% of agglutination is because of infection or a weakened immune system, which essentially is alluded to an infection. What weakens your immune system? Infections. The other 5% is due to things like damage or a vasectomy or any sort of very 
intense injury that potentially could have happened. And and none of those boxes were checked for Joe. He he was checked for any injury, any damage, varicose seal, anything like that that could have potentially be affecting him and and everything looks good. And so that leads us back to okay, well it's possibly an infection. And what's wild is the doctors don't think an infection has to be has to do with our issue. They're just like, "Nope, you just got to do IVF. You just got to do IVF." Okay, well no, sir, let's figure out what is causing this agglutination. And so that really was just kind of our, 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 our train of thought with this urea plasma, because we actually did find out we had the urea plasma just before we got this advanced semen analysis where we found this agglutination. And so it all started to make sense. Okay. He has this infection that is clinically studied to have an effect on motility, morphology, and just overall male infertility. And we found out that his motility is because his sperm is stuck together. So duh, it's not moving. So let's figure out the infection. And while yes, there is urea plasma and there's myoplasma, there are so many other types of infections or bacteria or yeast or funguses that can cause infertility in men. So while yes, it could have been the urea plasma, it also could be something else. And that is why we said yes to Fertilisys and working with Fertilisys, a company out in Greece who not only tests for urea plasma and myoplasma, but tests for 35 different types of infections, bacterias, fungi, yeast, things like candida of the sperm. I mean, so many crazy things that you literally cannot find here in the States. And we decided to get tested through them. And when I say we decided, because it was a huge financial investment, but it was worth it for us because I, I will, I will will, will, will get to the root of why my husband's sperm is 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 abnormal. I, I absolutely will because I know there's a reason for it. And I wanted to check the box of maybe infection or anything like that. So we got retested because we did go through the 10 days of doxycycline. We treated it. We retested because again, it is highly recommended to retest after treatment to make sure that you clear that infection. And I am so beyond thrilled to announce that we got our results back and we were good. Everything was in the normal ranges. Every single test that they tested for ureoplasm, they actually tested for two different types of ureoplasma strains, two different types of myoplasma strains, things like candida, um, all other STDs like chlamydia, gonorrhea, just so many wonderful things that they tested for. Not not wonderful, but like mind-blowing things just from a semen collection. That's literally what they used to test. So that means they were truly testing the microbiome of the sperm. Such a wild concept, right? Like so wild, but so interesting. And so I'm sharing this because this can make an impact on so many people. And I am beyond thrilled, beyond thrilled to have Fertilisys themselves on next week to not only share their clinical 
experience and their studies on things like urea plasma and myoplasma, but talk about all the different things they test for. Talk about just what they're about, what they do, what they test for, all the different things, because they do things more than just the microbiome. They test for reproductive immunology. They test for sperm DNA fragmentation. Like the things that they test for is mind blowing. And so we are going to have Dr. V and just the Fertilis's team on next week to answer questions and to just share all that they have. I have a list of questions. I, I know I've kind of shared about this on my social media. So a lot of you guys have sent me questions, but if you're listening to this and you have questions, please, please, please ASAP DM me on Instagram at Brooke Bocci and just shoot me your questions so I can make sure to ask them in our interview next week, because I just think they have so much value to bring to people and so much heartache that they can help with men and women who are struggling with an unexplained infertility that just don't have that push to just figure out why. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, trust me, sometimes I wish I didn't have the brain I did because it's freaking overwhelming. But if my brain can help people, heck, I'm going to do it. And that's why I want to talk about it on this podcast. That's why I want to bring on these specialists because one in four women will lose a child through miscarriage or stillborns. One in five men and women will struggle with infertility. And true definition of infertility, which I think is bullshit, is 12 months of not getting pregnant. So 12 months of trying without getting pregnant. That's the definition. And that's what the one in five statistics shows. So there's so many, sadly, so many people who are experiencing and struggling with this that need answers. And if I can help, even enlighten in some way, shape, or form, I am going to do it. So stay tuned for next week. I am so excited to have Fertilis on. This is their very, very first podcast they're going to be on. So I'm so honored they chose informed consent. And I'm just so excited for what they have to share. So thank you guys so much for just, for just understanding why I'm sharing what I'm sharing for being there. I've got so many of you guys that listen and shoot me messages saying you're praying for me and praying for us. And just that this is being received with such grace and just such understanding. And it's not my usual content, but I think this is a wonderful, like urea plasma. Most people don't even know about it, but it can literally be life-changing. So sending you guys so much love and I'll be back next week with Fertilisys. 